1: Oh, there we go. Preparing your live stream meeting. Perfect.
0: Oh, good. Well, I wish there was a way I could put oh, this on my feed so well.
1: Now it's redirecting me to YouTube, so I think we're already live, but um, I'm just... Oh, good. I just got to minimize the volume once the YouTube page comes up because then we'll hear double volume, but I'm going to keep that screen open just in case uh, anybody has questions. But I just need to minimize the volume real quick. But we're uh, live right now. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me today. Today, I have with me uh, James Bartley. James has is, is been researching alien abduction for the past, I would say, 25 to 30 years. Um, he, uh, is, is, um, uh, I would say he's really well known for it. And, uh, he has his own show. It's called his show. His website is cosmicswitchboard.com, where he interviews other abductees and other people, you know, in the industry. And, um, yeah, he, he just has a great show. So and he, he, he's on YouTube as well. And he said, but basically you can catch his show anywhere, all over the place. Um, it was just a little bit more about my guest. James Bartley has been researching alien abductions in the military aerospace connection to UFOs and alien life forms for 25 years. He's a protege of legendary alien abduction researcher Barbara Bartholik of Tulsa, Oklahoma. James has spent a lot of time conducting field investigations in the high desert of Southern California, Arizona, and Nevada. He specializes in research and investigations into reptilian aliens and military abductions. James is an independent historian with an emphasis on military history, intelligence, counterintelligence, and special operations. James has lectured in San Diego, California, Las Vegas, Nevada, at the UFO Friendship Campouts, and Little Alien Inn in Rachel, Nevada, adjacent to the Groom Lake 50, Area 51 complex, uh, and as well as other places. And he's, uh, he was, resides in Sydney, Australia. He was formerly a member of the Late Night uh, late search paranormal network and spn and hosted his own show called the bureau of alien human affairs um and james co-facilitated support groups for alien abductees and military abductees my labs and james is available for consultations in case you guys want to know and uh yeah i see you guys in the comments We're, there's no video today because james had to call in so I, I so I just figured I wasn't going to do video either. So it's it's fine. We're, but we're just we're just going to be audio. James, can you hear me well?
0: Yes, I can hear you. How do I sound?
1: Yeah, you sound great. Great, we sound great. Thank you for That's joining great. me. How are you?
0: I'm doing fine, Robert. Thank you for having me on
1: yeah I, I, I kind of wanted to make our interview a little bit different than, than um, interviews you do so I, I actually I tuned into your uh, coast to coast interview which I thought was interesting because in that interview you talked about um, something that I didn't hear you talk about on your journey to 2 interview or um, other interviews and that was something you called the astral dreamscape Adjustment Bureau
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what', do you, what, what, what yeah. is that all about <laughs>
0: We are, I don't want to use this term vulnerable. Let's just say that when we're in our sleep state, it's relatively easy for certain non-human entities, some of them non-corporeal, interdimensional, if you will, to be able to literally at times get inside of us and take over our dreamscape from within, create what I call a stage-managed dream, where you're shown a number of things. Some could be highly symbolic in nature, uh, and there are variations of this where the effort could be to uh, change your personality in some way by, by showing you certain types of uh, stimuli, uh, violence, or what seem to be war movies, that kind of thing. Well, what the Adjustment Bureau aspect is a lot of us have gone through a scenario where we're put through testing and training, that's a better term. And the controllers, in this case, non-human uh, controllers, want to put us in scenarios and, and see how we how we work through solutions, uh, work through scenarios rather, and come up with solutions for, for certain problems, right? And so, where the adjustment bureau aspect comes in is quite apart from that. When we're kind of lucid in in an astral dreamscape scenario, and what I mean by astral dreamscape is it's not only a dream, but there's an astral body element to it as well, where one is literally outside of the body, dimension hopping, if you will, and they're experiencing all kinds of different things, Uh, moving in and out of different dimensions. But sometimes when they do this, they inadvertently or sometimes intentionally uh, maybe be on the verge of uncovering some truths, learning more about the aliens, whatever the case may be, so when the aliens in our example, catch us doing this, even if we 're not consciously aware we 're doing it we 're just grabbing an inner interesting lucid dream, what these aliens do, and sometimes the black military can do this as well, is at some point in the dream, they interfere and they do something to knock us off course whereas we may be in this mode of looking for information intel gathering uh, voyage of discovery thing what the ets do is they kind of throw a spanner in the works and then they confront you sometimes with some kind of task you just get this overwhelming compulsion you get this strong thought from somewhere that you have to solve a puzzle you have to resolve some kind of dilemma And oftentimes what they do is they put you in in an impossible scenario, Uh, some kind of situation where you have to uh, mix and match different items for Lego block kind of things, or uh, put together a bunch of paperwork in a specific order. You're not given any instructions. You just got the strong proportion that you have to do it. Right? So you get caught up in doing that. And it leads to also to what I call frustration dreams where, You're just constantly thwarted, constantly stymied, constantly frustrated in these dreams, and it really amps up your your emotions, uh, increases your anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. But the purpose behind it is to distract you. Uh, Previously, a moment before you were on the hunt, you were looking for information, Uh, you were exploring some underground lair or something if you uh, are in your astral body. Next thing you know, you put in a scenario where you're trying to resolve some insuperable, impossible task, and the frustration builds, and you forget what you were doing. So that's what I mean by the uh, the astral dreamscape um, adjustment bureau. And I got the adjustment bureau idea from the, that movie. I think I can't remember who it was. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio or somebody, but he was in this movie, and some of your viewers and listeners probably seen it where every time he tries to get together with a particular girl, he's thwarted in some way and, and reality changes and he's back to you know his starting point. Well, that's where I got the idea from, as far well as the Astral Dreamscape uh, adjustment view is concerned. But thanks for asking for that.
1: I think it's, it's a, I think it's an interesting concept. And to take it a little bit deeper, you know how they say our thoughts create our reality. Well, like, if we're in a dreamscape, we're like, Sometimes we're helpless against what our thoughts are, like right because, like, you're dreaming, and, and so, for those of us that aren't lucid dreamers, you know, like, you're it could those thoughts be creating our reality? So, like, what I'm saying is, if this astral adjustment bureau, if it's the reptilians or whoever it is of government, goes into our dreams and manipulates our dreams, are they then affecting what, what our reality is?
0: Well, for all intents and purposes, Robert, that, that isn't a reality at that moment because. We spend a majority of our life sleeping. Not many people are lucid dreamers. These non-corporeal entities that have the ability to alter their, their density and their frequency, they would hold the tactical high ground. We would kind of be vulnerable to their depredations. So they come into our astral dreamscape and they manipulate it from within. And depending on what the agenda is, say if the reptilians want to turn someone into a violent Domestic abuser or something—they uh, will do things in the dreamscape, but also uh, anatomically, uh, physiologically, to the sleeping person. And they may even resort to electromagnetically beaming the, uh, the frontal lobe, which is the impulse control center of our brain. It's an it's impulse control net; it prevents us from acting out in you know, aberrant, crazy ways. Well they chip away at that and they get us to be more impulsive and uh, more reactive. And one of the ways they do this is in the astral dreamscape by presenting us with sort of stimuli. It could be uh, these scenarios where we're constantly set upon by crowds, uh, people attacking us for no reason. Uh, And then you break away from one crowd, you turn a corner and you're attacked by another crowd. And the way they utilize the mind control and the ability to uh, to enhance the, the realism, if you will, is say if in the astral dreamscape scenario you're being jostled and attacked set upon by a cloud of people, they have a way of making you feel that as well. You feel like your head's being bopped. You feel like you're being jostled. You feel like someone is trying to restrain you. But in the astral dreamscape, this is the, the reality that you're, you're seeing and feeling. So you're put in a really heightened state of, raw emotion, animalistic fear uh, to the point where you break away and then you run into another crowd and you're just kicking out, and you're lashing out, and you try not to be captured, trying to avoid being beaten. You know, the cumulative effect of something like this night after night or week after week, it will have an effect on people, on their personalities and behavior. And that's just one example. Uh, they could have a, a sexual agenda in mind where they're turning someone into or trying to turn someone into a, a sexual predator of one form or another. So they will adjust the the stimuli, the, the, the sensory, uh, physical manipulation, the astral dreamscape, stage-managed theater. They will adjust that accordingly, make it more sexual, make it more perverse. It just depends on what they're trying to get out of the individual. And, and the deep black military will do this, too. They will do things in the astral dreamscape even to the point of putting us in a virtual environment by astrally abducting us, putting us in a virtual environment and training and conditioning us. So the key is lucidity, and a lot of us are a long way from that. There are certain, and I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I'm not prescribing anything, but there are certain natural supplements that can help in that regard uh, to help one have a good night's sleep, help one have more lucid, vivid dreams, uh, shamans and medicine men, medicine women the world over have uh, utilized certain herbs and plants, what have you, to bring about this effect. And, and I think that would be helpful because if one is lucid in the astral dreamscape, they're more likely to catch on when there's some kind of external interference taking place, however subtle, right? So, uh, anyway, I just thought I'd point it out.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, would you, is, this, is this, are they, do they do this because, um, do they instill still like fears and phobias in the dream state because they're like louche harvesting? Would that be like reptilians then?
0: Yes, uh, the loose harvesting is, is a very key aspect to this. And the fact that it, it can't help but alter the person's behavior, at least in the sleep state. Because like I said, we spend most of our time asleep, there are people that have night terrors, and it goes back to well well before the Middle Ages, but the term they use in the old days of being demonically tormented. Some of these people have these experiences. Again, depending on the whims of of the non-human intelligences involved, if they have more of a demonic slant, if you will, they can create horrific uh, Freddie Krueger-like dreams in the, the sleeping person, and they can induce paralysis. So they make it uh, very difficult for the person to wake up. And when the person is in the astral dreamscape, a Freddy Krueger-type of uh, you know horror film dream time, if you will, is passing excruciatingly slowly the person knows they're not having just a dream because time seems to be passing so slowly, no matter what they try to do, they can't escape. They can't get away from uh, the, the beings or the forces that are messing with them. They can't make themselves wake up. So yes, this can't help but a engender louche for these parasitic entities B alter our personality in some way. It, If left unchecked, this definitely can have an impact on the person's waking consciousness, especially because this is a closed matrix system, especially since so much of the cinema, entertainment, Hollywood, et cetera, is in sync with that nocturnal agenda of, uh, beaming, imprinting certain narratives, certain images, uh, perverse violence, whatever the case may be, normalizing all these uh, normally aberrant practices and, and, and behaviors and just putting it in our face. So on the, it's a the double whammy kind of Robert. So the person in our example is experiencing this kind of stuff at night. And then during the daytime, they're bombarded by uh, similar things, uh, but in in cinema, in movie and entertainment form, it's is really a closed loop is what it is.
1: Um, So I, I got a question. I, we had a question from the audience. I'll go back to it. I can't put the questions up on the screen, but I'll just read it. This one's the, the one, on, uh, uh, the one someone in the chat says, is astral projection advised against right now? She's heard that it is advisable. It's not advisable due to spiritual war that's happening right now. Have you heard anything about that? And what do you think about that? Are
0: you... I missed the first part about is that about astral projection?
1: Yeah, she said she uh I, I think it's a she. She says uh, she says I uh, she have a she has a question. She says, is astral projection or astral travel advised against right now because there might be a spiritual warfare going on.
0: That's a very good question. Uh, see the problem that some people have, but hopefully it's the problem that can be turned around and made to trend in a positive way, is some people inadvertently astral travel. They, maybe even unconsciously, they can slip out of their bodies at night when they're sleeping. So they're automatically going to be in the astral, you know, lower astral plane, sometimes depending on what their vibe is like, perhaps even influenced in some way, by astro- astronomical alliances, energy levels, and in the immediate environment, et cetera, et cetera they can just start out having a normal astral out-of-body experience and then they can change into something else. They can go into some other dimension, some other realm. And those of us that have been conscious during our astral experiences, and I can only speak for myself, but there were times I was acutely aware that if I'm in my astral body and I'm in the astral planes, it's not likely that I'm going to be alone. I mean, there's likely to be other Beings out there, and I never liked the prospect or the idea of running into them, right? Because uh, you know the idea is to gain full mastery, physically, astrally, of, of all of our energy bodies, right? And if we aren't quite there yet, we could become vulnerable to depredations of more practiced astral operators of, of whatever stripe, whatever kind of energy, right? And we're kind of in their happy hunting ground. There are times when you astral travel that you can you can use it to your own benefit. Uh, I mean, it's it, 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 there's a fudge factor involved because when does it stop being an astral experience? When does it start being, uh, say, a precognitive dream? Because many of us have had precognitive dreams where we literally dream events in the future. It could be a day away, a month, five years down the road, whatever. Some of us have had the ability over time, no pun intended, of of dreaming future events that eventually come true. Some of those may start as astral experiences. See, so that there's this fudge factor, and I'm not quite really sure of, of the dynamics, but, but the answer to answer your question, in yeah, some okay. esoteric disciplines, they, they spend a lot of time training people to do this. So, and, and what really helped me was the Robert Monroe books. If someone is having inadvertent astral experiences, sometimes. The aliens themselves will induce out of body experiences. It's, it's a whole nother story. But uh, if anyone wants a basic grounding on astral travel, read all of Robert Monroe's books about astral travel.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I I've, uh, I I love I love Robert Monroe's books. I that's what I was doing. I was using the the Hemi Sync by Neural Beats to try to go out of body. But do you? Let me ask you this: Do you feel like there's a difference between um, like an and like the astral realm and an out of body experience for example I guess what I'm trying to say do you think there's a difference between the dreams the dream world and an out of body experience are they are they almost on par for like similar
0: yeah I think they're two sides of the same coin I think they're really just one thing and there would be aspects of it like sometimes I know when I'm having an astral experience sometimes I can just oh like in the Robert Monroe books he talks about Uh, rested body, alert mind, that that's a good state to be in to induce an OBE. And sometimes when one is in that state, quiet household, they begin to hear in some cases the this high-pitched kind of uh, noise in their head, if you will. And then that's a a signal that one may be able to have an out-of-body experience. And then there's different methods that uh, Robert Monroe teaches to roll out methods to get out of your body, et cetera, et cetera. So that's an example of someone intentionally trying to do it. And there's other times when you don't even have to work up to that point. Well, sometimes you just feel, you know, your body is vibing at a certain rate. Okay. I, I may be able to have an astral experience tonight. And I've done this many times myself, and so you either set the intention to find out about something, to be somewhere, or you just, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, what happens to me sometimes, and I'd like, you know, any responses or input from the listeners if it's what I'm going to describe is similar to the baby space. But <clears throat> when I'm feeling out of my experience, come on, and then when it comes out, when I come out of my body, this is what it feels like sometimes. Like I just am like shunted out of my body. I feel myself being pulled along, and then there'll be like an abrupt left turn, long, long, seemingly left-hand turn. And then another long, seemingly left-hand turn. And, and then an abrupt course change, maybe a shift to the right. I mean, this is what it feels like. It, this may not correspond to any real astral direction or astral place, but it's what it feels like to me. I've been shunted to the right. Next thing you know, I'm some other place, right? Whether it's in this realm or some other dimension, some other plane, and I'm looking around and uh, it looks very much like our reality. Uh, and then I realize if I'm outdoors or if I'm indoors, right? If I'm indoors, then my senses go up because, okay, I'm an intruder. <laughs> I'm in somebody's domicile or home or something. So th- that kind of puts me on the alert. But also I tell myself and I remind myself, okay, I sent an intention to go learn and find out something. So, I'm here. Let me look around. Let me see if I can, you know, open things and look at things and try to find how to get an idea of where I am or, or what's going on here. Right. And so that happens sometimes where you, you know, what's coming, you feel your body just being jerk pulled this way, and that, and then you just accept that wherever you wind up, that's where you're going to be. So that, that happens too. And and other times there's the astral abductions where you really feel, literally feel yourself either being pulled out from the top of what seems like the top of your head, pulled out of your chest, pulled out of the soles of your feet. Uh, but it's very abrupt and it's, it's very much an astral abduction. There's someone or something literally jerking your chain and pulling you out of your body and then you get caught up in whatever their, uh, you know, psychodrama is until you can break out. So anyway, I hope I answered that question.
1: Yeah, yeah, you did. And uh, uh, speaking of abductions, I kind of wanted to like kind of transition to that. Like, um, what, what do you think, I asked Eve Lorgan this yesterday, and I, and I know you guys kind of had similar um, uh, mentors, like in Barbara Bartholik and Carla Turner. And I'll just tell you, I, I didn't know much about Barbara Bartholik. I'm learning about her now. But I was a huge fan of Carla Turner. I knew I knew of Carla's work. I, I talked to Eve about it yesterday, but I I wouldn't mind bringing it up again because I really feel like you know from the more I'm learning about Barbara and the more I'm learning about about Carla that they were really onto something. And I truly feel that maybe Carla was murdered. You know, um, I, I brought that up again with Eve yesterday. I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. And um, and and do you think they they knew? what the alien agenda was and and in that case do you do you think that like you and eve since you kind of had the same similar mentors do you think you're on to what maybe the the alien agenda might be
0: Uh, we we have a pretty good idea and barbara bartholick uh, she also met an untimely end Uh, they were remotely beating her for a while they were messing with her and that's perhaps a deep black element of the military doing that, but also the spiritual warfare reprisals she was receiving from the aliens and the reptilians themselves. I mean, they went after her, they went after her family. Um, a neighbor had, uh, was an eyewitness, uh, her, her Barbara and her husband, Bob, are restoring a yacht. And that was like their life's work. They were putting all their time and effort into restoring this yacht. And it was on the verge of uh, completion. And, their Their next door neighbor, I'm not you know being funny, uh, said that well they came home and the thing was burnt up, the yacht. and their next door neighbor said, "Damn this thing, I saw this flying saucer hovering above it, and the next thing you know the thing burst into flames. And uh, so those kinds of things happened to to Barbie. and he was rear ended. He was at a stoplight and uh, by a car estimated to be going one hundred and twenty miles an hour. She was projected out of the vehicle. I rode in that car as a passenger, and then the, the car landed on top of her, right? So on the front page of the Tulsa newspaper, there's my mentor with her legs sticking out from under uh, you know this white car that, that I, I rode in before. Her husband, my good friend Bob, was projected out. He landed on his head. was in a coma for a while, and uh,
1: later they both
0: died. And so there's no doubt in my mind that Barbara met an untimely end from malevolent forces. And as far as Candy, Carla Turner, is concerned, there's no doubt in my mind, I know a bit more about what happened to her than most because Barbie confided in me. In Candy's case, she was also she was also taken out, for lack of a better term. And it was not deep black elements of the military. It was the aliens themselves. They had done something to her to induce cancer, and then she developed cancer and then passed away. So those are just two examples of, of a number of UFO researchers over the years that uh, untimely ends. But in the case of Candy and Barbie, uh, they were the pioneers because they had a very good idea of what the aliens were doing, the hybridization agenda to take over this planet. They knew about the underground processing plants where uh, humans were being uh, you know, kept as, as a food source in large numbers of humans. And these are an underground cavern systems and underground bases all over the world. And and I do believe by this point, there is also a, a thriving off-world uh, human trafficking operation as well. It's not just going on on our planet. And Barbie and Candy were aware of all that. And, and Evie Lorgan and I independently, came up with the same conclusion based on the research that we were doing. And we were also liaising a lot with Barbie because Candy had passed away by that point. So we had all come to pretty much the same conclusion that this alien agenda is uh, meant to not only enslave the human race, but uh, I mean, the stakes are the highest. It's the ultimate disposition of what we call our souls. That's what's at stake here. That's, I mean, they're shooting for all the marbles. It's not just that we may shed our mortal toil because of their actions and people's acquiescence and submission to you know these actions, but it's what happens afterwards. You know, the ultimate disposition of the soul that we must really focus on because uh, everyone's going to die at some point. But you know, what happens afterwards if, if these entities get their way, uh, they they could potentially enslave our souls forever, and that's we don't want to go in that direction.
1: Well, why, why do you think that would happen? I mean, like, do, do you believe that, I mean, like, I just want to get some background information because I don't know, like, I, I don't I don't know your, your theory completely. Do, I mean, do you believe in, like, a benevolent creator or do you think the aliens are the creators? And then, or, and do you think they could get a stronghold on our afterlife like that? Or what do you, what do you think?
0: I do believe there's a benevolent creator that, some people refer to it as God, and that could be offensive to people, but to me, God is an acronym for guidance of the divine, right? And there's a lot of different ways passed to that divinity, for that level of awareness and, and spiritual indwelling. And I believe that there are forces of good at work that made it possible for you, Robert, to do the show, to reach out and be able to positively impact so many people, right? And it wasn't an accident that was at some level at an oversoul level for you. It was preordained in many ways. So there are good forces at work. I think because this is a plane of duality, and I don't think it's necessarily started out as a plane of duality. The, The ultimate ceremony of many traditional cultures around the world harkens back to a time in the distant past when this was not a plane of duality that this was a plane of abundance of plenty of you know un, undiminished love but this archontic demiurgic force has worked this way into every just about every galaxy in this plane of existence and it's a corruptive corrosive force which manifests in many different ways and there are all these lower nether dimensions uh, inhabited populated very dark malevolent forces who need hosts to parasitically insect and feed upon and work through so they can uh, use as a medium to affect malign changes in our reality so they they not only need our acquiescence but you know they need to take up a lot of people as hosts <clears throat> not only in institutions like government and, and High finance, et cetera, but in the day-to-day world, uh, that's why there's so much domestic violence. Why there's so much uh, chaos and upheaval at, at the you know family level, level, working itself out. I don't think it was always meant to be that way. I think that, like I said, that there was a time in a distant past when this was a, a plane of of abundance, and now it's about it's a plane of predation. Right, so. Uh, to answer your question, do they have the means to interfere with us beyond our physical um, existence? And I would say that based on the circumstantial evidence that Barbara and others have come up with, I am satisfied that at some level they can interfere with the, the death and dying process not just to the point of killing people or instigating wars, which kill a lot of people in an an example. But as far as what happens to the soul after the body dies, they seem to be involved, at least some of these beings, in the death reincarnation uh, system. And it's been alleged, I have no reason to doubt this, that there's this Saturn-Moon matrix system that keeps us kind of, bound or, or stuck in this star system, in this planet. Uh, many people, some of your listeners perhaps, have uh, waking visions and dreams of existence, pre-existence, on other worlds, not just uh, past memories of life on Earth, but memories of, of life as what we would call an extraterrestrial elsewhere, right? Some other star system some higher dimension, whatever the case may be. Well, why is it that we can't just reincarnate to some of the star systems or worlds we were at before? Why do we have to keep coming back here? And why is our lifespan so truncated? Uh, when you go back to the Old Testament and, and some of these other religious tra- tracks around the world, uh, they talk about this time when uh, the human lifespan was much longer than it is today. Something has been done to us. You know, our Telomeres get shortened unlike most mammals so we cannot produce our own vitamin c so we have this uh, system set up against us in in so many different ways to trunk truncate our lifespans and, and, and the sickness right so and then we pass away and then we get stuck into the soul reincarnation thing so i think that one of the goals should be to find a way to break out of the reincarnational trap that if we decide to come back to Earth in some point in the future, uh, we, we do so uh, of our own volition. Uh, we decide to come here through a, a portal or come here in a starship or whatever the case may be. We're not just forced to hatch here over and over, so to speak, right? Coming back progressively to a, to a darker, more controlled Orwellian world every time we come back. Uh, I don't think it was, I don't think it started out. It was like that. It was supposed to be like that. And I do believe that we can break out of this. I think we can break out of this matrix system where we just have to really make an effort collectively.
1: Yeah. I mean, and do you think that starts with us like, like, like kind of, let me ask you this. Do you think going with uh, Carla's, Carla's work, Masquerade of Angels, like that, I think that book was kind of really well ahead of its time. Do you believe a lot of these ETs are masquerading as angels or some other, do you, do you, do you think a lot of them are kind of playing both sides of the coin, like um, playing at our positive side and our negative side um, to either create strife in our life or create problems or pretend like they're benevolent, but then they are actually, you know, um, manipulating us on a, on a, on a long-term agenda?
0: Absolutely. First, I'd like to say there are good ETs. There are good aliens. And some of the people, a lot of the people on this planet, maybe some of your listeners, uh, whether they're consciously aware of it or not, they're part of an extended ET family. They're boots on the ground. They've had past-slash-parallel incarnations as what we would call an ET, but but a good ET in, in a highly... Uh, technologically advanced, spiritually advanced culture, right? And so they still have a connection with that ET family. They still have a kinship with them, whether they're consciously aware of it or not. And these beings, they, they look after their own, they check in on us every once in a while. So I just wanted to put that out there, that it's not all just negative ETs. However, getting to your question, it's very common for negative ETs to portray themselves as positive ETs and one of the most common ways they do this is they can like reptilians do this a lot they can present themselves as fair-haired blonde palladian nordic looking beings that's one of their guises they assume Um, they can assume the guises of other ETs they can pretend to be tall grays right When, when they're not really tall grays or as they've done and has been witnessed by my labs before, they can pretend to be in an underground base. They can pretend to be humans or human military, right? So that's just the reptilians doing this. And the reptilians, some of them are absolutely 100% shapeshifters. they can shapeshift, but they're not the only beings that can shapeshift. There's other beings that can do that as well, That they have this understanding and a mastery of frequency and density. They can make themselves invisible in the visible spectrum, or limited visible spectrum. And they can do things which show a much larger understanding of, of space and physics and, and quantum realities. Almost appearing to us, as has been said before, as magic, some of the abilities that some of these beings can manifest. I'm just talking about ETs here, aliens, right? So one of their shticks has been to to portray themselves as really pleasant looking benevolent beings. But as in that classic book, Masquerade of Angels, and, and Carla told me herself that that book was just the first volume of what was going to be a series of books of just the Ted Rice case alone, because Carla and Barbara had amassed so much information working with Ted, I mean, it involved cloning. It involved, uh, if you remember the book, as a young boy, they induced death in him when they abducted him by making him drink something. They put his consciousness into a black box. They wheeled out a uh, a clone of himself. They connected the black box to the clone. They gave it a jolt and suddenly his consciousness was in his his new body as a boy. When he was returned, uh, he was literally return in this whirling, multicolored whirlwind, and then his family that had been out looking for him, his extended family, Uh, when this whirlwind dropped him off, he was burning with fever. They had to immerse him in in ice, right, in the bathtub to get his temperature down. And all of those, or at least some of those childhood illnesses that you get that's supposed to be a one-off, right, measles, chickenpox, what have you, they came back in his new body and that was documented point being is that there was so much more to the, to the Ted Rice story about cloning and about all this other stuff. And and it turned out that one of the beings that he regarded as a spirit guide that he felt was helping him become a a good psychic medium to his clients was actually a reptilian all along. And uh, you you get to the end of the book, you find out what, what those web killings did to him and his grandmother—it was horrific. But point being is that that was an example, and that was why Candy called the book "Masquerade of Angels," because in Ted's example, and he's by no means unique in this, these beings presented themselves as angels as, as guides. Yeah, right?
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to ask you about was like, what, are, like, what, regarding your experiences, like but what is this what got you like, what made you want to get a hold of Carla and Barbie is because you were having your own experiences with reptilians and you maybe didn't know how to process it or you were kind of looking for answers like because is, is that kind of what started you on that path?
0: well, in in Barbara's case, there's no doubt in my mind that she and I, and if if people believe it that's fine, if they don't believe it, that's fine also. but there's no doubt in my mind and there was no doubt in Barbara's mind that we had some kind of uh, karmic connection that we had reincarnated at this point in time or back then anyway, to work together as we'd worked together in previous incarnations. And that's a whole nother story. So there's no doubt in my mind that I I was at oversoul level on both her oversoul and my oversoul. We decided to reunite and work together after Carla had passed away, right? Because of what had happened to Carla, Candy, we called her, because Carla Candy Turner. And how I got a hold of Barbie initially was I'd gotten to know Candy first. And the way that Candy always edified Barbie, she Candy had built up this image in my mind of, of Barbie being this just wonder woman, super woman researcher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who liked to stay in the shadows and do her work. And and she and Candy co- collaborated. Candy was the spokesperson that presented the, the findings that Barbara and Candy came up with and because Candy was such a polished speaker, former university professor, et cetera. It was a great team that they made up. Uh, And I was looking for someone that I could collaborate with. There was a lot of Adjustment Bureau stuff that went on that prevented me from connecting with Eve Lorgan for a long time. Finally, we did. That was only because we were sitting next to each other, finally, at at a Vance Davis lecture in San Diego. But anyway, for a while, it was just Evie and I, because in Southern California at that time, there were so many people that had this new-agey, all-aliens-of-warm-and-fuzzy mentality, and that, that conflicted in a big way with the findings that we were having in our investigations and our own personal experiences. As we were meeting with groups of my labs in the high desert in Southern California. We were learning a lot about reptilian activity in the high desert and in Las Vegas, Nevada, and other places, and also what we were personally experiencing ourselves. Now, how I got to know Barbie was... You know, Candy was a formidable personality, right? I mean, she was a ball of fire, and I, I just did not have the guts to uh, ask Candy for Barbie's phone number, right? I was just too scared, uh, basically, to ask. So how I came to know Barbie was I knew a guy named Bob Yuri, uh, a guy who put UFO conferences together in Philadelphia, and I, uh, I was introduced to him uh, from mutual friends, and then Barbara thing came, came up in the discussion. We said, oh yeah, I had Barbara at one of my conferences in the past. And uh, by the way, here's her phone number if you want to talk to her, it was like mana from heaven, right? So <clears throat> I called her uh, shortly thereafter and it was just everything clicked. And it was, you know, the, that reunion thing happened uh, with Barbie and it would really help because what Evie and I were going through, what we were investigating, what we were processing, or we were trying to process, on our own for the most part, we were able to bounce things off in Barbara and she was able to provide a lot of guidance and we spent a lot of time on the phone with her because she recognized in Evie and I kindred spirits, right? That we were in this for the long haul and we were hardcore researchers and we weren't going to uh, be frightened off by some of the more unpleasant aspects of, of the research. So we were natural allies, uh, Evie and I with Barbara Brockley. So that's how that happened. Uh, and it turned out as fate would have it. Uh, one of the people we were meeting in, in the high desert who since also died an untimely death, Joyce Joy Spivey, she turned out to be a friend of Barbara Barthwick's too. Uh, so, you know, it was coming at me from different directions that I had to get in touch with Barbara again and, and become a close associate of, her, of hers. And I, I really I really value and treasure all the time that I'd spent with her talking to her and
1: and, and learning from her. That's fascinating. So let me ask you this. Do you feel like there's like a a new age deception going on? Like, do you you think that like, because I know you said, I believe there's some some positive ETs as well. And I believe that there's some positive contactees. I I believe that some of them are on on track with the right thing. But do you think that we also are faced with kind of like a new age deception?
0: Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, I likewise agree that there's a lot of contactees that have had encounters with actually benevolent, friendly ETs that they have some connection to, the ETs maybe passing through or whatever. I I do believe that a lot of those contactee cases from the late 40s, 50s, 60s, they need to be reevaluated because a lot of the more mainstream intelligence infiltrated organizations in the past, like NICAP, what have you, uh, they, they lampooned all those accounts that people had of uh, people, especially meeting ETs that look human, right? Uh, they had this bias against contact of any kind, let alone let alone beings that look like us or claim to come from Venus or elsewhere in the solar system. So I think that those contact cases need to be reevaluated because Fast forward to the present time. People to this day in Latin America, in the former Soviet Union, et cetera, they're still having encounters with human-looking beings that are not abducting them, that are sh- taking them on board, and showing them, you know, the workings of the craft, just like the abductees, uh, contactees, rather described in the past. And then one quick point, uh, you know, before I you know shift gears about the new age deception, some of the things that the contactees, the so-called discredited contactees were saying back in the late 40s, 50s, and 60s was later verified by insiders, whistleblowers within the deep black aerospace uh, industry. For example, some of the early contactees were saying these crafts, some of them, they're created out of a chemical bath. And the, uh, the chemical bath, it, it hardens, it starts to differentiate, modularize itself. And then you have this solid craft, but it came out originally as as like a out of a chemical bath process. Well, some of the insiders in the aerospace communities that are familiar with LA technology are saying the same thing. But some of these crafts are created this way. So, so how could these discredited contactees know these things, right? And that's just one example. But as far as the new age deception is concerned, it is through. Programming, behavior modification, national dreamscape manipulation, and ego activation. What some of these malevolent ETs are very good at is activating the ego of the people that they're having interactions with. And Candy Turner always made the point that in many cases, when an abductee is in the presence of ETs, what they're being presented, what they're experiencing, The sensory input, if you will, is all alien contrived. Everything that they're feeling, everything that they're seeing, potentially has been manipulated and created as an illusion. And there's no doubt in my mind that some of these aliens are very good at engendering strong emotions and feelings. They've done this to me. They put me through this dream scenario where they made me think that I somehow started thermonuclear war, World War III, and I woke up sobbing into a pillow, right? I mean, that's that's an unpleasant experience, thinking that you're responsible for destroying the whole world. Right? So there's nothing pleasant about that. Uh, it's very guilt-inducing. And what these aliens can do is they can activate the ego of somebody, make them feel very special. You are emissary on Earth. We need you to, to let mankind know about you know, this wonderful future we have in store for them, et cetera, et cetera. And this is in the context of what is essentially an alien abduction. What's interesting is some of these people who promote the feel-good, warm and fuzzy ET message, when a, a good hypnotic aggressionist has worked with them and got them down into what really happened in their experiences, some of the stuff that came up was quite unpleasant, quite painful, quite frightening. And then, you know, for the days thereafter, they're kind of in a stupor because it it's incongruent with their feelings about the whole subject. They go around telling everyone, telling themselves about the warm and fuzzy ETs, and then here comes this regression and all this horrific stuff comes out of it, right? So what happens sometimes is after several days of being kind of in a stupor, kind of being a funk after a hypnotic regression, some kind of re-upload takes place and then they're back to talking about warm and fuzzy ETs. So there's definitely some kind of behavior modification at work and we don't have a time to get into it, but there are variations of this uh, behavior modification and then the manipulation of feelings. You often hear abductees, contactees, and investigators say, well, the aliens are interested in our emotions. But what do they really mean by that? Well, the, the research that Barbara Bartholik has done with many, many abductees in and out of aggression is, and I know this from personal experience, they put us through our cases in some of these experiences where they make us go through the extremes of emotion, euphoria on the one hand all the way to extreme rage on the other, all points in between. The things they do to us, the, the visual uh, holographic projections they, they they make us take part in which have a high emotional content uh value like for example very common abductees will talk about how the aliens will just show them holograms or or imagery of nuclear war nuclear detonations uh, war and catastrophe etc cetera, etc cetera. that can't help but have an emotional impact on somebody so is it any wonder some of these people come back from these experiences are more ecologically minded they, they really believe in the Gaia concept of, and they start going green and, you know, start becoming climate change activists, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's, that, that's a manipulation. Right? So anyhow, I don't know if I answered your question, but the, uh, the aliens definitely work through, uh, new ages. They'll even to the point of hybridizing of their own and their hybrids would wind up being these new age gurus. And some of them have quite startling, metaphysical abilities, astral travel abilities, ability to manipulate the the Kundalini, the sexual arousal mechanism of of women in their group and their cult. Okay. So these people are hybrids. They're reptilian human hybrids and they've got all these abilities, but they're passing themselves off as like a new age guru.
1: Is, is that why you hear all these like these like horrific stories of people who say they go to a guru and they like you know they have like these you're hearing more and more of these horror stories about people with these new age gurus. Is that kind of what you're getting at with that?
0: Well, yes, absolutely. And also it's it's not a surprise that a lot of the places, the locales where these gurus have their uh, retreats and have their workshops, they just happen in some cases, in many cases, actually, to be magnetic anomaly locations, uh, energy vortex areas, uh, portal areas, right? So all these people are doing this group meditation. I've never been into the concept of group meditation because <clears throat> I don't know anything about the people on either side of me, front and back. I don't know if they've they got hitchhikers, if they're hosts for entities, whatever the case may be. I'm expected to sit amongst them and vibe with them? No, I don't think so. Right? And so when they do these group meditations, for example, they're doing all the chanting and the tone work and all that stuff. And there is utility. There, is, there are beneficial aspects to that if done correctly. But if it's done over an interdimensional vortex area, which connects to another dimensional realms and another dimensional beings, that's not such a good thing because that, that can open people up to uh, being hosted by an entity in outright possession. So these gurus, they know this. The entity is working through the gurus. People look at a guru. They got the, you know, the Harry Krishna type outfit and the beads and all that. And they see, oh, this person's harmless. If anything, they'll think they're just a crank or something. But no, they're, they're a hybrid. And they got one or more entities working through them. And the consciousness working through them is not human. It can sound like human. The, the person can, can spew out all the new age pablum and metaphysical platitudes and speak in riddles and make themselves seem guru-like, but there's entities working through them. Because I knew someone, uh, Colleen Johnston, she's since passed away. She was used as a trance medium, which is the old term they used to use instead of a channeler. And, and the problem I have with channeling is it's, they deliberately mute their own consciousness and allow another one to come in and take over the, the host, uh, the body of the medium, and speak to the body of the medium. And oftentimes, as was the case with Colleen, they don't remember a single thing that's come up in the, the channeling. And in Colleen's case, she happened to be the, the transmedium medium for a Draco cult Right? And to the the outer circle, when she would go into channeling, she would give these like New Age platitudes and what have you. But for the inner circle, cult guru, leader, and a few of what would come out in these channeling sessions would be hardcore Draco, we're taking over the world kind of stuff. right? And there was all these transcripts written of all this that I don't know whatever became of them. But point being is that Uh, That's an example of the the cult leader was using my friend, who was also friends with Kenny Turner, by the way, and Barbara Botelik, I should ask. I should add, using her as a channel to to bring in these Draco beings to the point where um, one night Colleen was living in this compound with all these people, right? This this cult. She woke up and heard a noise and, and looked down the corridor and there was the cult leader, being led away by by Draco winged reptilian beings, right? So, you know, there you have that connection again. So not only are they coming through in the channeling sessions, which the, the transmedium has no conscious memory of, but with her own eyes she'd seen how the cult leader was being abducted, essentially, or taken away, at any rate, uh, by these Draco beings. So, it goes back to the whole of angels thing, doesn't it, Robert? Uh, we just have to be careful. Use our intuition. There's a lot of fake gurus out there. If anyone out there tries to change your way of thinking, change the way you uh, express yourself, Well, you can't say it that way, right? Because when you say it that way, you're really doing this. It's like, don't let anyone tell you how to speak or how to think or how to, uh, how to behave. That, that's cult uh, programming, right? And there's a lot of people out there in the field that are, that are new age gurus that have a UFO bet to them. And they're always trying to change our thinking and, and uh, you know, change the way we speak about some things. Like I would say sometimes, oh, well, like if people get download, no, don't, don't use the term download because you're buying into the ascension trap, you see. Well, I can say download if I want. I'm a sovereign being, right? So, but these people come along and they try to change the way you think and the way you speak. So people need to be wary of that. They should never interfere with free will.
1: Yeah, and I would say, I would say, like we have to really find what resonates with us. Like I think your your your, our bodies are good for telling us like what really really resonates with us. Like for example, like there's 45 people watching this show now. Like if these these 45 people weren't really resonating with what you were saying, they wouldn't be watching right now. So, so I guess what I'm trying to tell the audience is, in any situation find that find what really resonates with you what because your, your body will tell you it will, if you're if you're being deceived by someone by a, a new age guru your body will tell you you know right i mean i think we know these things right and uh, like deep down i guess is what i'm saying like i think deep down we know like what's wrong and what's right we our instinct tells us we have natural instinctual abilities that can tell us if we're being deceived or not do you do you agree with that or do you think i'm off
0: Oh, you're absolutely right. Because uh, it's this, people describe it as the still small voice uh, inside of us, the gut instinct. Because uh, our midsection solar plexus is our metaphysical intelligence center. So when people say, "Oh, or, you know, I had a feeling in my gut, gut instinct." For example, uh, we're just talking to uh, somebody about this recently. On so the morning of 9/11, um, I called in sick to work. I just had this uneasy feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I said, "No, I." I'm going to go with this. I'm not going to work today. I don't feel good. Right. And then, you know, all that stuff happened on TV. Uh, that's just one example. And also another example was I mentioned how Eve, Eve Lorgan and I, we were like voices in the wilderness. Uh, we were actually pariahs in Southern California. A lot of the more new age oriented uh, ET contact E types. Uh, they just said, Oh, Bartley and Eve Lorgan all they ever talked about are negative experiences and you know, they always talk about reptilians and in some of these uh, ET contactee groups, you can't even mention reptilians because they get so defensive. The claws come out and at you know, one moment, they're love and light next and moment the moment are coming me, I could merely because you mentioned reptilians. Okay. There's, there's something wrong with that. It shouldn't engender such a strong emotional reaction. And the, the ET element in, in, in the new age field, is such that to this day I can go to all these documentaries and it's very much the same types of feel-good, warm-and-fuzzy ET researchers, abduction researchers, so-called, that are saying that 100% of all the ETs are good. All the ET encounters are good. And once again, in a lot of these documentaries, there's a lot of them out there, those are the types of people that they interviewed. Evie Lorgan and I were pariahs in, in, in the Southwest. And that's why it was as if Barbie threw us a lifeline. We could actually pick up the phone, right? And later when Barbie got onto the internet, we could exchange emails, but mostly on the phone. In those days, no Skype, no Zoom. She provided a lifeline to us, whereas here... Well, not here, but when I was in Southern California, nobody wanted to hear about it. Only a handful of hardcore researchers were out there. You had to drive quite a ways to get to them. Right? So we still have that element. Okay? There, there are still forces at work to malignly influence our perceptions. Uh, like when before I even met Eve Morgan, I was around all these new agey, people that only reported positive ET experiences, and I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach. This isn't right because this is not what I remember. This is not what I went through, right? And so I trusted myself. I didn't say, well, I'm just going to go along with everyone else because everyone else is reporting positive experiences. I'm going to go along with it. No, I didn't do that. I I stayed true to myself, held out long enough to meet Evie, and we both held out long enough until we met Barbie. You see how that works. So... Uh, you know, I'm just so grateful to the mentorship of Barbara Bartholich. And, and thank you, Albert, for taking the time to you know, have me on, on your show. And I'd like to, um, you know, return the favor. I'd love to have you on my show and talk at length about whatever you want.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dad. I just have like, I, I know we've been going about an hour. I just want to ask you two more questions and, and you can answer them quickly if you oh, don't sure. have a lot of time. Like. The, the, the one was about like it was all it was all rolled into one was about implants and the other one was about SSP targeted individuals and SRA victims like I guess where I'm going with that is I kind of wanted to get your opinion on like what you thought of the SSP and then I wanted to ask you if like um, you thought the targeted individuals and the SRA victims is that, is that reptilian behind it and then the third thing was that I could get into implants after that, but like, sorry, I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just wanted to ask. Oh, you no,
0: no, no, no. I'd i like to answer those. Yes. Uh, for lack of a better term, I mean, myself and the old timers, we never called it the SSP, the secret space program. It was something that someone else came up with, guy at TV ran with it. And and I, I must say that, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, the people that were behind that whole effort and, getting certain narratives out about the Secret Safe Space Program, so-called. Uh, they didn't do the My lab community any favors. Back in the old days, we called them military-type cases because we didn't know what else to call them.
1: So they were going on back oh, in
0: the
1: day. They were going abso- on back in the day.
0: absolutely. Absolutely. These are legitimate alien abductees who occasionally, sometimes quite often, would have encounters with deep black elements of the military and sometimes in the context of these experiences and being taken underground or in some cases off world they would see human military human scientific engineering personnel working in unison with non-human life forms this has been described in a number of places beneath edwards air force base uh, dulcie other places beneath uh, potentially beneath aria bedwaters a whole other key case there where there's this ongoing interaction between non human life forms and deep black elements of the aerospace community. So that had been going on for a long time. And back in the old days, when we would talk amongst each other about these experiences, those of us that had had these kinds of experiences, we naturally reached out to others who'd had them. In the old days, there was only a handful of people that were public about this, right? All across the U.S. And it was very much an us versus them mentality. It's like, it's bad enough we're going through these alien encounters, and some of them were quite unpleasant. But on top of that, this government, this military that's, are supposed to be protecting us, right? I mean, I guess that's why, you know, their business, supposedly, is to help us. What a naive notion that is. But instead, instead of helping us that are going through these alien encounters, they're kidnapping us, they're drugging us, they're You know, doing all this stuff to us is completely uh, violating our our, our personal sovereignty, right, constitutional rights. So we had very much an, an us versus them, almost an adversarial mentality, because it was clear to us that those elements of the deep black military were not on our side. And if they're not on our side, if they're not doing this for our benefit, you know, being fellow Earthlings, you would think that we'd have some kind of bond, right? Then they must be part of. They must be part of this Draco reptilian Orion Empire, which is, of its tentacles all the way out to our little corner of the multiverse, right? So that's the way my simple-minded reasoning worked. And when these guys came along, these space cowboys talking about all their woo X-Men powers and that they're super soldiers, and in my attitude, Robert, is look, talk's cheap. Actions speak louder than words. If they've really got these woo-woo powers, they should turn around and use them against this control system and start to dismantle this control system because it's these aliens, reptilians, and their uh, cosmic allies like the mantis beings and some other beings, some factions of the greys, etc., including some of the Nordic beings. Working in conjunction with these nether-dimensional demonic entities, they've enslaved our planet, basically. So if these people are really super soldiers, they should use their powers against them, right? People, what happens is, in in, in real world scenarios, is these aliens, good and bad, and also deep black elements of the military, they seem to have a way to engender within us these metaphysical abilities. Within the context of these MyLab training experiences, MyLab ops, a lot of us, we just don't
1: have, on a
0: normal waking uh, consciousness basis, have the abilities uh, that we do in some of these experiences, because they manifest themselves sometimes inadvertently in some ways, at moments of extreme crisis, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we're not like yogis and, you know, we're not fully, uh, you know, spiritually developed beings that we can just call upon all these powers at any one point. I, mean, I wish that was the case. I think that we're all at some level striving to regain, reacquire those capabilities. Well, these controllers, human and non-human, they seem to be able to access and exploit those abilities within us. But then we wake up in the morning, and we're back in the humdrum world again, and, and we we just don't have the means to usually use those abilities. Well, these super soldier types just say they have these abilities all the time. So, like I said, and I'll leave it at that, that they should turn around and use their abilities against the system, what they should do. Because one final point on that is All my labs, all legitimate my labs um, present a real threat to the control system. Because if we're all simultaneously, you know, one after the other, we acquire even a, a fraction of our powers, our abilities. That's a mega game changer, okay? So instead of that, they would have us arguing with each other, right? So that's what I think of the secret space program. It's still going on. Uh, people are still being taken by the military, taken off-world. I mean, it runs the gamut. It's not—it's a whole bunch of different types of experiences, training uh, scenarios being used in actual, real-world and off-world combat. For example, that does happen. But, but anyhow, what, what was the question besides that?
1: I was going to talk about uh, target individuals and SRAs real quick because you did an interview with um, David on your channel. And I would recommend everybody who's watching this, go to James Bartley's YouTube channel and watch his interview with David Case. I think you did it just a couple days ago. I listened to it on electronic mind control. Man, that's powerful. That's a great interview.
0: Well, it is. And and just to talk very quickly about David, uh, he was a sleeping tiger. They should have left him alone because – he was a child prodigy of electronic engineering, and he'd, he'd invented, or he thought he'd invented it because the black military government got to it there first, but he created a computer that runs on uh, photonic light energy, and he tried to patent it, and shortly after trying to patent it, he started getting like all this extreme tinnitus and electromagnetic beaming. Uh, long story short, because he was an electronic engineer, he developed a countermeasure, not only does the countermeasure a certain frequency decouple someone from the AI targeting system, right? Uh, that enables the electromagnetic beaming, but also the the frequency also promotes neuroplasticity healing of the brain. And along with the brain, you know, other major organs as well. So it was a win-win. And this all came about because he started harassing David after he started you know, to take out the patent on, on the light computer. But anyway, Targeted individual well, satanic ritual abuse. The satanic, the SRA families are 100% reptilian, Draco, hybrid bloodlines. That's the way they've been for centuries, for millennia. And there was this term that used to be used a lot, familiars, to describe spirits or uh, non-corporeal entities that followed families, familiar, you know, family being the root of familiar, multi-generationally, as we, as we say now, right? So there's something to this notion of, of a cursed bloodline, of, uh, you know, paying for the sins, if you will, of one's ancestors, right? Because these, these entities will follow our bloodlines. And not only that, but because of the reincarnational aspect, in fact, my, my belief that some of these negative entities play a role in the reincarnational um, system, I think they know who we are even even before we enter back into this earthly plane. It's like, oh, so-and-so, like Robert's back, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, <laughs> not necessarily in your case, but in other people's cases, they will set up all these roadblocks and, and things along at critical junctures in an individual's life to knock that person off course, turn them into you know, a homeless person, turn them into this, that, or the other, right? Just because they know that... They, they pose a latent potential threat somewhere down the line where they actually, to, you know, reacquire and reintegrate and, and you know, heal from all the past trauma from you know, multiple lifetimes, right? So these beings follow us lifetime after lifetime. They don't just follow us uh, multigenerationally. They follow us lifetime after lifetime. And so the SRA families, get back to your question, uh, they are 100% reptilian human hybrid bloodlines. That's not to say that everyone in those families Bad, Uh, many of them are good, they're trying to get out of that system, right? Uh, But uh, definitely, they establish strongholds in certain family trees, and they often use these family um, bloodlines, as you know, to affect certain types of changes uh, in our surface world.
1: Yeah, the, the, the last, the very last question I have for you, I promise this is the last question, but I, I just, you're, you're a great source of information. I, I wanted to get your opinion on this real quick was uh, I had Daryl Sims on my show and he talked about the implants and he said that he spoke with someone where he thought, you know, like him and Dr. Lear were doing those extractions of those implants. And he thinks that, that maybe that those implants or the alien implants are possibly meant to control Said they're not tracking, but they're, he said they might be to control like sero, serotonin and uh, dopamine, norepinephrine, like our brain chemicals, like they, they, they were meant to control abduct these brain chemicals. And I think if that's, if that's the case, that's really scary because that can kind of control someone's emotions. Like have you looked into it? And if you, if you have, what, what did you come up with? And do you think that's at all possible?
0: No, I knew Daryl very well in the old days, and so did Evie, Evie Lorgan worked with him for a while, and I knew Dr. Lear, and Evie Logan was actually waiting outside of the surgical theater where, where Dr. Robert, uh, Roger Lear was extracting the initial implant extractions. Evie Logan and some of our colleagues in Southern California was there on site when it happened. And yes, I do believe that they do uh, have an effect on our indoctrinary system. They're, they're placed in key places... Like the the Tic Tac implant at the base of the skull, right above the uh, the brainstem, that affects autonomic uh, responses. That re- that affects how we perceive external stimuli, right? Uh, how they can create a waking hallucination just by sticking an implant right right at our brainstem. So that's just one example. And they have the, have the ability to overload us uh, emotionally, right? So, for example, the the, the mantis beings are, are notorious for this. They can just love bomb you with this you know, all all encompassing feeling of love of nirvana or or omniscience, where they they give off this vibe of being super wise and all this stuff. And, and many have got these fall for it. Oh, this mantis being it was so wise, it was exuding all this love. Well, not just a frequency affecting the person's uh, you know brain chemistry, releasing certain glands that are making. Uh, hormones that are making them feel that way. Uh, To me, that's a big bug like creature. It's got nothing to do with love. It's got nothing to do with wisdom. It's very technologically adept and technologically advanced, but empathy and compassion, no, that's not part of the equation with these mantis things are concerned. So uh, we have to be mindful of of our emotions being played and and Daryl is right that it does have an impact. It's an intended impact on our brain chemistry on our indoctrinary system, on our glandular system. One quick thing, and, and, and uh, before I let you go, is my friend, Diane Johnson, one of the original labs in the public, uh, she was told by deep black elements in the military that the, the, there's a gland in the brain of, of most families that's atrophied, but not in her family. And that, that gland is still active in her brain. And when that gland is activated electromagnetically, whatever the case may be, it releases certain hormones, which enhance her psychic remote viewing abilities. So this is the military knowing about this. What more would aliens know? Barbara used to say about the aliens, they know us molecule by molecule. That was a quote. They know us molecule by molecule. So, and Candy always said that when we're in the midst of an alien encounter, we have to be mindful of the fact that everything we feel, everything we perceive is alien-controlled, alien-generated. So what we're seeing, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, uh, we can't hang our hat on all that. We have to be able to step back and do a proper debrief with ourselves. And I was fortunate I had a mentor like Barbie, I had a colleague like Evie that I could you know, really unburden myself with. So... Uh, i was more fortunate than most in that regard but yes to answer your question absolutely they they serve more than just a tracking function they do much more than that and it depends on what part of the body uh, also the the implants are stuck in
1: wow that's that's fascinating well i could talk to you all day like i i uh you know i i oh, i let you go i know we've been, we've been going for like 76 minutes and i know yeah, I appreciate you being able to call in. I know it was like it was, you know, like it's it's hard because you're all the way over in Australia. So it, this meant a lot to me. Like I really appreciate it. And if you ever want me to do your show, just let me know. I'll, I'll come on anytime. I mean, I will admit though, I feel like I'm not very good at doing interviews as I am at interviewing someone. Like, I but I still do it. I still come on people's podcasts. So I'd, I'd be more than happy to come on and talk with you.
0: Oh well, you, you're a great interviewer. I mean, those are all key questions I wish more people would ask me. Question. I'd love to go back on your show again for, for a full workup. You know, I just circumstances here, I just have no internet coverage where I'm at, or virtually none. So, anyhow, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Robert, and, and let's stay in comms. And definitely would, would like to have you on my show as well. And, and greetings and salutations to all your listeners out there. All
1: right. Thank you, James.